Shockingly, a drug considered too dangerous for chickens and men was somehow perfectly acceptable for women. Hello, you are listening to Great Culture, the podcast where we talk about wine, pop culture and feminism. I'm Kim. I'm Sam. And we hope you enjoy the show. On this week's episode of Grape Culture, we're going to be talking about the book Unwell Women, A Journey Through Medicine and Myth in a Man-Made World by Eleanor Cleghorn. But before we get into the book, we've got a very special guest on this week's episode. Welcome, Tiff. Hi, thank you so much for having me. No worries. Thank you for joining us today. Would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, what you're doing on our, what are you doing on our show? What am I doing here? How, what are you (laughs) doing here? I mean, where to begin? Uh, I have a couple of podcasts. One of the things I'm really interested in is what trends. I think I might be a sort of cultural anthropologist in a very loose sense if the culture is directly related to anything Lindsay, Brittany and Paris did in the <laughs> early 2000s and, and anything that Anna Nicole Smith has ever said. I have a deep-seated love of things that may be considered trash. And I think that trash can be elevated to a point of grandeur. And I also am really into anything that's sort of dark and slightly horrible. So lots of true crime. I have a true crime podcast called Crime and Dine. And I'm really also bizarrely interested in medical history. Thank you again for being on the show this week. Kimberly. you've provided us all very thoughtfully with some wine to go with the book, haven't you? What is it? I have. I'm slightly unnerved that I got full named there. So I have provided each of us with a bottle of the House of Dreams Grenache Noir 2020. The reason I chose this wine is mostly because I thought that the label gave me really strong Freudian nightmare dreamy vibes thinking about medical analysis and psychoanalysis and hysteria, which are some of the topics that we're going to be discussing in this book. The wine's from MS. It is from our favourite MS winemaker, Sue Daniels. Oh Sue. Um, Hooray. So thanks, Sue. This is a medium bodied wine suitable for vegans. The style is intense, silky, unoaked red wine, tastes of cherries, strawberries, and wild herbs. Very witchy. I like it. Goes well with lamb, sausages and casseroles. The copy reads, Grenache Noir's gnarled, drought-tolerant bush vines are ideally suited to the Mediterranean climate found in Swartland. Here they thrive on ancient prehistoric sandstone and shale soils. Farmed without irrigation, they produce small berries with intoxicating scents, giving rise to fruity, expressive wines, such as this example crafted by Leon Esterhuizen. So there we go, wine of South Africa. Pour away, chaps, pour away. Pour away for those of us that still have the wine. Uh, (laughs) Tiff, have you got a confession for our listeners? (laughs) Do you know what? It was so lovely. It looked so lovely and it was so inviting that I thought I'll just have a glass so that I'm prepared. And what I'll do is if I drink the whole thing, I will replace it. Well, I did drink the whole thing, actually. So I did replace it. And then I I couldn't find the exact wine. So but then I got, I mean, not bad from a label front. I got so I got a Monty Pooch. The gentlemen on the front of the bottle do look like they'd be like early anatomists. I can't remember the painting, but that one where they're stood around I think they're pulling someone's spleen out or something. It's very much those vibes, yeah. isn't it? I think we had the white version of that one on the pockets episode. Cheers. 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 That's uh, pretty fruity. That's pretty fucking fruity. Yeah, light on the palate, as I recall. Like, Mm. yeah, it's very pale red, actually. It's another medium-bodied one, which I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago. We were a bit like, oh, they always taste a bit wishy-washy, but this one doesn't taste wishy-washy. This is very fruit-forward, but it lasts. 
I like it. Mm. I'm here for it. Very drinkable. And, and speaking of bodies, unwell women. <gasps> what a segue. That was beautiful. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> so this is a book that is uh, about the history of medicine for women. I'm not going to say women's medicine because that makes it sound as though women are at the forefront of what was being decided in the medicine. And this book is very much about not that being the case. It's a history from ancient Greece through to the present day. And it's an exploration of the weird and wonderful myths around women's health stemming from hysteria and the wandering womb all the way up to the lack of acknowledgement of women's pain through the 20th, 21st century. When you guys found out we were reading this book for this episode, what did you expect and did the book live up to your expectations? I feel like I was definitely expecting something that led us by the hand through a bit of a turbulent history. I think I had known or at least thought I would have known what some of the themes of the book would be before even reading it. I, I knew that there would be for sure hysteria in there. Like, obviously, that's like that's a classic in the top five worst hits. I knew there would be like some FGM, obviously, but I don't know. I think I was expecting, funnily enough, maybe some more information that involved women taking some sort of charge of their own health and their own health education. But it was kind of a compendium of some of the worst parts of history just slammed together it was like being sort of like rammed with a pointy information knife every once in a while like you just recover from one stab and you'd be like oh there's another awful thing okay all right <laughs> yeah no I felt the same I I was kind of expecting it to be slower paced with a little bit more detail and insight around some of these things and maybe even more detail into particular conditions and how they evolved and what they actually were and what we know now and how that was discovered which I think you got but not in that linear fashion it was much more a history of how shit women have been treated featuring medicine which a part of me was a bit like okay well I do know that women were treated pretty shit I I don't necessarily need this much tied to medicine if you're not going to go into depth about the way that that was cured and evolved. I also was expecting it to be a lot more about psychology, not pseudo-psychology, which I think is just my own bias towards issues of mental health. But then again, I suppose the point was, don't attribute everything to things being in women's head. Focus on the physical. I just felt the first section got a bit lost in the historical weeds for me. Like you say, it was the history of women featuring medicine, I was quite surprised, actually. And I, I don't know why I continue to be surprised by stories of women being marginalised and downtrodden, but I was surprised how many core events and beliefs were, and I'm using heavy air quotes here, backed up by medical beliefs of the time. I, I found that really surprising, but it was it was both eye-opening and not as eye-opening as I'd expected. Anyone who has lived in a female body and experience the kind of brush-offs that the medical world likes to give you, we'll read this book and go, ah, oh, well, yeah, that's what, it do be like that. It do be like that. Yeah. yeah seems about right. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's really that red hot poker up your vagina? Yeah. yeah. I think it's funny though. It's hard to balance, I think, that having like enough like factual basis for something and talk about it in a way that's accessible and entertaining. And I love... 
don't know if you've read any of Mary Roach's books. So she wrote this book called Stiff, The Curious Life of Human Cadavers, which is about what happens yeah. to your body after you die. And like what could happen if you donated it to medical science. And what I like about it is it's not just here's what happens after you die. It has like a very sharp focus. And she's not a medical writer, but she is a she's a very thoughtful, very funny, very human writer. And she can humanize technical subjects in such a way that makes reading them really accessible so like in Mary Roach's book they open and she's at a, a plastic surgery convention where there's she walks into a room and there's a load of severed heads where plastic surgeons are practicing facelifts on these severed heads and she's like oh that's a bit okay that's a bit weird but through that I then learned that cadavers are used for testing things like aortic tears in car crashes and you know and so on mm. and so forth but like I think it's a really hard line to tread that informative and entertaining it, with really heavy subject matter and I think it bordered on the academic but it wasn't quite academic enough for me it yeah. was sort of like it was neither one nor the other it lacked like you say it lacked that narrative it lacked that sort of humor and personal it was just an info dump and I think the problem with that info dump was that if you are in any way versed in any remotely feminist historical topics you already knew stuff she was more interested in the history or she got lost in history herself and I could see it part way through sections where she suddenly realized that oh she needed to tie this back to feminism it kind of reminded me of writing an essay where you just you know about the one book and you keep writing about the one book and then you have to try and tie it back to that one bit that you remember about that one book yeah for sure I mean I think that there are elements where she kind of tried to do that particularly at the start of chapters when she would lead in with a case study and kind of humanized that case study and you know fleshed it out a bit but then used that to then go into the history and, and a lot of stats particularly in the later part of the book when statistics were actually a thing in history and I did feel in the second half of the book it, it did get quite dry because it was a lot of that I would have liked more stories about the women I think mm -hmm. yeah for sure but then of course there couldn't be more stories because there weren't women any stories. <laughs> yeah yeah true but then that's the the wonder of just being able to take the facts about a case and then create a story around it. So what did you guys think was done well within the book? Yeah, I think it was very comprehensive. And it was, you know, there was a lot of stuff that I for sure had some knowledge of, but there was other stuff that I maybe hadn't quite made the connection about. And I think, broadly speaking, it does paint, even though it's not particularly enjoyable, it does paint a very useful and a very important picture. And I think even if the brushstrokes are fairly broad, it is a, a pretty horrible little compendium. <laughs> I always think that there are some things that are good, but not fun. And some things are fun, but not good. Like, I don't know, The Handmaid's Tale is good, but it's not fun. No. true yeah, so true. <laughs> not a light-hearted romp is it no and then there's like Riverdale which is fun but it is not good <laughs> so I, I I sort of think this is like good not fun yeah yeah I think that's accurate <laughs> yeah I agree I think it lays a foundational text like this is the first of its kind it's the first book that is compiling all of this in this framing, or at least the first book to make it to my table. And so that's maybe why it wasn't so focused in on certain things or so narrative, because it needed to lay a foundation for other books to do that in the way that we have, you know, complete medical histories of people with penises um, for years and years and years, because 
they they were the ones writing the books and so they can afford to be more focused or more more colloquial or more introspective in their modern books it's bestseller friendly in a lot of ways like I got given the book as a present and uh, someone was like oh you like you know kind of weird shit that like women being horribly treated I was like yes I do (laughs) hand it over so I can see it as like a bit of a gateway drug like there are some books that they're just gateway drugs and that's what they need to do that's the purpose that they need to to solve and uh, I would put it in a similar category of maybe invisible women or something which is if you want to go deeper then you can go and find other texts that maybe get better into the meat or maybe a more academic or even whatever even more storytelling but Sometimes you just need someone to kick the door open for you. I think this is good at that. Another thing that I think was that I was struck by is that, yes, this is a series of very grim fairy tales, except they're not fairy tales. They're actually (laughs) true. A series of horrible, horrible things that have happened to women in the name of science. But there were points where it managed to be kind of funny. Just like a little wry line here or there. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're like, ah, I appreciate I needed that in the midst yeah. of all of this yeah. bleakness. I think one of my favourites was this bit where she's talking about the 19th, 18th century. Um, he believed women needed only the cheering counsel of male obstetricians to relieve them as their only medicine, which I thought was... So that's like the last thing you want, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> when you're suffering and then comes some jaunty man, I think the fuck not. <laughs> no, no, thank you. No, thank you. Well, I mean, I tell you what, though, I tell you what I would appreciate. I remember there was a woman when I was almost dying from my gallbladder surgery called Mivanwi. And it may have been because she had a cart with um, morphine on it. But I tell you what, I look forward to seeing Mivanwi's face every day. <laughs> and I was like, whatever you got, I'll take it. Load me up, yeah. <laughs> but not a man. It had to be Mivanwi. Like beautiful Welsh Mivanwi with a little drugs cart. That's what women want. <laughs> That's the female gaze right there. I also really appreciated those wry moments, Sam. It was almost like her irritation while she was writing it got the better of her. You know, when you kind of like subtweet in a chat and you're like, no, I shouldn't say that. Delete, delete, delete. Except she didn't do the delete, delete, delete. And I loved that she didn't try to sort of apologise for or dumb down her sarcasm. She let it be sarcastic because she knew that her audiences would get it. Yeah, and she did put just, a, lot, a lot of faith in the reader, I think, but yeah. I think it was well placed. For sure. Yeah. Because as hard as it was to get through reading it, I can't imagine how difficult it must have been to write it. You're gonna, you're, of course, you're going to pop off every once in a while. And <laughs> yeah. you're right, it was appreciated. It was like, oh, thank God you think this is you think this is nuts too. We'll talk a bit more, I think, later about what else could have been included in this. But is there anything that you think could have been delivered better or approached in a different way that just needed a bit of work the humanization of it was really really lacking you know I've already mentioned it it just felt too impersonal and even if you didn't have the factual evidence you know you didn't have first-hand accounts to support that but having a bit of imagination or a bit of creativity to the writing so that you as a reader could feel close to these people because like you said earlier like a string of terrible things happening to women and it almost made me feel desensitized to it and we're women and we're women who care about this 
and that made it feel a little bit clinical's the wrong word because it wasn't even because it wasn't it wasn't scientific but it wasn't making us feel anything emotionally it was making it feel like a list of things to be memorized which was a problem for me and also the pacing which i think we'll get into later was slightly off for me the first section is the dawn of time ancient greece to the 19th century and that's quite a lot of time to condense and that added to that rush feeling from the minute that i saw the opening to that section yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) i think like it's I, i totally agree funnily enough the things that I really like about this book is that it's a good compendium the thing that I also don't like about this book is that it's a compendium (laughs) I think if I was reading an entire thing that was about like witchcraft and medicine then I think that you've got time to let that breathe a little bit and you've got time to like get into the meat of it and I almost would have preferred the things that I really enjoyed I became quite focused on and then and then suddenly I would be whipped into somewhere else that would be horrible and I was like no what's that other horrible thing take me back to that yeah and (laughs) and the thing about story you know if I just talk about myself for a moment the thing about story is I'm writing a lot of the episodes for this true crime podcast and what I do first of all is have a researcher like a junior researcher come to me with a whole heap of stuff that's pages and pages and pages of just like a laundry list of horrible things and of course they're horrible things because they're murder and then I can't just read that like I can't just record a list of horrible things and so I have to try and find a way of creating narrative which is if this then this as a result this happens and I and I sometimes felt that that was really missing for me in this like I think at times it was done well and sometimes it was just like this and then this, mm-hmm. and then also this horrible thing. And I'm like, how how do we weave these things together in a way that is human? But like, we need to be able to see what the consequences of X are. Yeah, if we wanted a list of dispassionate events, we'd listen to the way the boys tell it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I also think it's interesting that this is, like, like you said, if this is a compendium and it's a series of unfortunate events on women's bodies, but it is meant to serve as a history. And I'm not a historian. I have certain areas that I know more about than others. But even I noticed that there were a few errors in it. And I was like, mm, hmm, that's a shame. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like one of the things that was saying about the health problems of corsets is one of the things where it's like, actually, if you do your research, mm-hmm. no. And there were a few others. There was something about the Gutenberg Press. Pressing being, press, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was quite kind of, for, for people who aren't academic historians to pick up on that, it felt a bit lazy. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Like, it was the kind of thing that that's very easily fact-checkable. Um, I picked up on both of those too, and I actually did. I was like, Sam's going to have something to say about that. And as an extension of that, I felt that some of the arguments around things like the association with women and medical treatments and the plague or women and their medical treatments and witchcraft I almost felt that they were slightly forcing it like slightly forcing that connection in that I do believe that there is a connection there obviously because nothing exists in a vacuum and actually there's a lot of connection with a lot of different things but it was almost the goal of the book to be like this is the only reason that any of this happened or got this far and 
my way is the only way to interpret that, which again is a very academic essay thing that I think people do and always really annoyed me. But then of course you're supposed to like pick an argument and run with it. And and she was obviously doing that, but I I had a problem with it. And I had a problem with it as a casual reader, but also as a former academic. I was a bit like, no, I know what you're doing is very important. It's not just a series of point example analysis, point example analysis, or point, point, point. It has to be uh, a threaded narrative. This isn't an essay. You are not trying to force your argument in 2,000 words or less. You are trying to engage a reader. Mm. I felt that there was going to be a pop quiz at the end of each chapter, like maybe like a little medical duolingo was going to pop up and be like, (laughs) (laughs) hysteria, (laughs) A, B or C. (laughs) Which of these terrible men invented this terrible thing? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting that both of you uh, over the course of what we've been discussing already have mentioned witches and witchcraft, because that is a section within the book, specifically dealing with how certain medical conditions and things were associated with witchcraft and how it fed into a wider narrative around the evils of women. So that's obviously an area of the book that you two found particularly interesting. What was it that you liked about that? And were there any other events within the book that you went, oh, that's interesting. I'd like to know more about that. I've got a lot of personal bias with witches because I feel like I am one and I definitely would have been, I would have been dunked and burned immediately, if not sooner, probably straight out of the womb. (laughs) Uh, And then I would, I'm actually a brilliant swimmer, so it would have been fine. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, this is not a connection that's made in the book, but something that I thought about, maybe I should write a book about this is, okay, so like during all the witch trials and all of that stuff, I remember reading that one of the theories for like this actual mass hysteria was because of the rye crop and the LSD connection so I love the Mm. idea that people were kind of like going absolutely nuts on like an early early form of LSD which is wild to me because because psychedelics are being massively researched and used now in mental health and health and it's like it's the thing that I'm most passionate about and I feel like if that was to happen, I think we would have some sort of redemption for those witches. In a yeah. way. Like we need to forgive a lot of the witches. We need to posthumously, we need to forgive them. But there, there was, I don't know, my bias is I'm interested in anything that has the word witch on it. I'm just like, <laughs> what's going on? What does that mean? I don't have any like fully formed <laughs> good, good thoughts and opinions on that other than, um, I'm a witch. What can I say? Um, I think it's fascinating that something that could have been used against women to cause so much pain in the past could potentially be life-saving here in present. I hope that we do get to a point, like not to digress, but I hope we do get to a point where like psychedelics are safe and accessible for people who need them. But it would be, it would be wild if something that was, yeah, in history (laughs) for basically fucking over a load of women. (laughs) Wild, but not unprecedented. No, no, no. (laughs) Funny if the book has taught us anything. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But like, I, the witch stuff in particular is interesting to me when they were talking about the the when they wrote down everything and that and I can never I can never say it the malfe malaf- the malfeatum malfeasis the mm um that's just what I call it ever since two seconds ago but I thought that was really interesting that someone who just clearly had a real deep hatred of women was just looking for any excuse to be able to like control their bodies 
And I think like we can basically map that onto like modern day politics in many, many ways. And it was actually incredibly depressing to read that like you can just whip people into a frenzy with like these Jezebels and Scorpion women and have some sort of weird political or medical ideology behind it. I mean, it's like we're looking at reproductive rights basically being decimated and destroyed in the US and you know it could be falling on our shores like because we tend to follow all the worst bits of what they do so yeah I don't know that was that was interesting and depressing to me that was super prevalent in my thoughts the very real world shit that's happening and I was like oh so literally nothing's changed great winner yeah I agree with you about the witchy stuff like I'm always just interested in witchy stuff I definitely feel like the last year or so in particular I've been reading accidentally or otherwise a lot of witchy books and I kind of didn't realize that I was just in that mood but I don't know whether it's just that it's easier for me to interpret and and process what's going on now through these kind of this historical removal removal removement of reading about historical fiction of of like witch trials and stuff in the same way that I think that during the early stages of the pandemic in 2020 with the rhetoric that Boris Johnson was giving us about like this is a war that we have to win and and the theatres closing and everything a lot of people that I knew and follow were very focused on reading things about World War II and the Blitz as being a similar kind of time of national fortitude and I too had had moments of that where I was like no that would be weirdly comforting because it's not the same but it's a similar emotion so it helps you process that so I wondered whether that was why I was so interested in the witch stuff because of what's happening now and also because of my own struggles with mental health I think that like a lot of the stuff around the witch trial stuff was to do with with how you could be interpreted because of your quote-unquote erratic behavior and I was like well I'd be fucking gone like literally last week I'd have been just killed I'd gone like goodbye so that was definitely something that really grabbed me also it sort of touched on things around like the, the anatomy side of things the body snatching and oh my god dissection is the word I was looking for I was particularly interested in as well, partially again, because I've recently read stuff around that. One of the other podcasts that I listen to is called Criminalia, and they have done seasons on both witches and the current season on body snatching. So it's very much like in the wheelhouse of what I'm interested in, but also that I have only ever or mostly only ever read or come into contact with stories about body snatching as relates to Birkenhair and men and criminals, male criminals, and the stories that surround them. So, like, to learn about why it was prized, I was I almost wanted to go more into that, but then that's the true crime element coming in where I'm like, I want to know about that story and that shit. And it sort of crossed over with some stuff that I was listening to with Laura as well. So I was like, oh, this is super interesting. And then interesting, but not in a peaked my excitement kind of way, just in a this is the most fucking bleak thing, was the eugenics stuff around women's health and sterilisation and eugenics, which is a really fun way to end my sentence. But that was kind of like, ooh, do like reading about this, but I do like reading about this because I feel like I should know it. Eugenics always ruins the party, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Constantly. 
yeah, it's like that one guy with the guitar who won't stop playing. <laughs> what is that? Oh, it's eugenics. Oh, it's eugenics. Oh, yes. Wonderwall again. <laughs> yeah, I've been it's... to that party. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that section was super bleak. Also, because when you think about it, it was two lifetimes ago. It wasn't mired in the annals of history. It was, you know, we potentially had grandparents that remembered those kind of attitudes or great grandparents, definitely. And that is fucking weird. And very much current and like can be mapped onto today in such a like easy, disgusting way. Whenever you see some horrible Daily Mail article about like 16 kids and on benefits and it's like... It's always through the same lens. It's like, why are we letting these people have children? Like, we should just sterilize them. And it's like, hasn't Boris Johnson got 45 kids? Again, it's the like the horrible, the horrible churning wheel with this book is that, again, my biases color it, but you can so easily map a lot of what's in the book into like current events, just like in a heartbeat. Yeah. Well, yeah. one of them was, there was the thing about the sterilization of the woman in, I can't remember, I think I want to say Ohio, just because things kept happening in Ohio for some reason, um, and who was deemed to be quote unquote feeble minded and the court mandated that she be sterilized. And I was like, hang on, didn't Brittany have a court mandated IUD mm-hmm. for several years under the conservatorship? Mm-hmm. And that's only just ended. It's not a you know, it's not a sterilization, but it is still fucked up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Complete lack of like any sense of control over like the most fundamental thing, like your own reproductive organs. Like get off. And you can't and be trusted with your own womb. <laughs> fundamentally, the thing that the male world has deemed a woman's defining feature, the ability to reproduce, to then have that removed from you and therefore making you less than less than woman and therefore less than human even more so than a woman already is and and this is all heavily you know like in the guise of these this horrible mindset but just giving rise to further abuse because if you are less than human and then less than a woman and you can't reproduce you are one step above in their minds a beast and I mean, they already treat women as fucking whatever they want to, to be on any given day. And, you know, God forbid their sexual urges don't get met. But then to completely dehumanize someone. And I don't believe, obviously, that a woman's ability to reproduce is, is indicative of a woman's identity as a woman. But they did and they were taking that away and categorizing someone as not a person essentially well it happens like today with transphobes who will label mm-hmm. women women which is like the most just grotesque ugly like bizarre yeah it's it's terrifying what about you sam like were there any sections that really sort of piqued your I'm going to say interest. I think there weren't so much time periods as people in here that I wanted to read more about, like pioneers and innovators, and some of them who were both great and problematic at the same time, which I thought was really interesting. Like, was it Margaret Sanger who mm-hmm. founded Planned Parenthood, who was like, look at all this great stuff you're doing, ah, but you racist. And then there was, uh, I want to call him Soranus, but I think it was Soranus. He was the, <laughs> the Greek 
I'm going to call him Soranus for the sake of his dignity. <laughs> it was sort of this very modern thinking Greek guy from 2000 years ago who, who saw women not just as a series of womb related complaints, but as kind of a, a whole, not a whole, but an entirety that, that all needed to be considered. So I thought that was what I found most interesting was being exposed to these people who I'd never heard of before. Some of them I had some, but the majority of them I was like, who dis? I want to read more about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everyone's got to have a problematic fave. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So on that super cheery note, we are going to have a break, as is our Grape Culture way. Probably go and have a wee because that is what we do. And we'll be back after the break to talk a little bit more about our wine and a lot more about unwell women. So we're back from the break to talk some more about unwell women and what it's like being sick when you have a vagina. But before we get into that, we want to check back in with wine, see how everyone is finding it. Kim, you've got the House of Dreams. How is it sitting with you? Are you enjoying it? Is it a good one? I am enjoying it. It's still very fruit forward. It's not quite as teeth coaty as some other medium bodied where you kind of feel like they're just more sugar than wine. But it is sitting quite heavily for a medium bodied wine in my tummy I don't know whether you know when you drink loads and loads and loads of water and you feel just quite like swishy that's kind of how I feel <laughs> like you're going to get the hot water bottle stomach thing. Oh, I love yeah, that. yeah. That's, that's, that's <laughs> and then as soon as you put it you're like blah, 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 but you can't stop yeah that's definitely the vibe I kind of feel like if I were to stand up I would like immediately need a wee yeah I agree I think it is very light I'm very much enjoying it for red especially as I've had a glass and a half of white before this so I thought this was going to be hideous but it's it's working out quite nicely and Tiff how is your not house of dreams <laughs> your medical <laughs> bottle or Monty Pooch alternatively yes. how did you feel after half a bottle of the house of dreams two-part question two-part answer <laughs> after the house of dreams I felt fabulous it went down a storm it's very drinkable it, you know it was a balmy evening I'm not a big drinker of white because the last time I drank a, a white wine I had an argument with my mum about therapy and had a panic attack in a French town square so I haven't been able to revisit uh white wine for, for that very reason <laughs> but to answer your question it was lovely when it went down and the Monty Pooch is this is quite sugary and it is giving me I do feel like I've drunk a, like a glass of like full fat coke. But it's not bad. I mean, look, it's it's a wine. Yeah, I mean, it's it's oh, it's a Sue. It's a Sue. Good old. It's a Sue Daniels. It's a Sue Daniels. It's a Sue. Episode is brought to you by Sue Daniels. It's a medium bodied Sue. So I was like in the right. I was in the right. Yeah, definitely. Vibe. Perfect. Great culture actually follows Sue on Instagram, and she doesn't post very often but she does live on an island and live her best life so it seems like we are having a v- overall pleasant time all around with our wines but we have to go back to something slightly more unpleasant which is the history of medicine for women or people in female bodies so before the break we talked a bit about what we liked about the book what we didn't like what needed some improvements one of the things that you mentioned kim in needs improvement needs work was the structure of the book do you want to go a bit more into that and sort of describe how it was structured and why it might not necessarily have worked. Yeah, sure. So 
The book is in three parts plus an introduction and an epilogue. The three parts are broken up chronologically. So they are part one, ancient Greece to the 19th century. Part two is the late 19th century to the 1940s. And then (laughs) part three is 1945 to present. And the first section ancient Greece to the 19th century is a good third of the book I would say that's a long time you know that's that's 2,000 years compared to 145 years maybe and that really bothered me each section is broken up into into different sort of chapter headings as, as they always are but they and they more or less follow chronological in the first section and then the second section they jump around a little bit more and I think that's true of the third section as well. So one minute you'll be talking about 1918 and then you'll be talking about 1890 and then you'll be talking about 1930 and then you'll be talking about 1905, and um, which is fine because I understand that, that there was an attempt there to thread that narrative. But I found two things troubling with the structure. One was, as I said, the the cramming of 2,000 years of history into one third of this book was almost kind of like, why bother? Because it was playing on stuff that a lot of people already know about. Reframing it or attempting to reframe it in a medical history approach and doing it so skimmingly that I don't necessarily know how much it added except to make you feel generally shit before you got to the 19th century. And the other thing was that I felt like the introduction could have been the book. I love a book that expands on a a point of view. But the introduction did quite a lot of the setting up work that I think that this 2000 years of history was trying to do. It just kind of felt, part of it felt like it was repeating itself. So I just felt like the structure was a really interesting choice. And I wondered why. Totally resonates. I hadn't thought about that until you said it, but it does feel when reading it that it's a little bit of a spoiler in the introduction like you probably could read the introduction and be quite well informed or have a good enough idea of what's in the book it does feel a bit like a an imposed structure from an external source but then I'm also thinking of like the rhythm of the book itself because you mentioned repetition and there is actual repetition but also it feels really repetitive it feels like a it feels like a slog it does feel like the sections feel like dis not disparate because they are there of course there is a common thread but like each of them could have probably been a volume with some depth but yeah it's like more about the rhythm of the writing for me like trying to fit that kind of rhythm into that structure didn't quite compute like I, I didn't find it easy to read and it wasn't just because the subject matter was challenging. Even in the audiobook version of it, which I switched to, because I was like, maybe I need to be like a little baby and have someone read it to me. Even then, I mean, the audiobook is in itself is it's like being on a, a train. It's like, there's a sort of like Absolutely. a chugging nature to it. Yeah, there's something about the pacing that is just slightly off. And I think sometimes it's because certain chapters and certain areas it dwelled a lot on a personal story like the one about the woman who was raped, became pregnant, was hanged when the baby died and she tried to dispose of the baby. And then she was still alive and then someone stamped on her and then she was still alive. And like that whole thing went on for a long time. But then other times they were like, oh, a woman in Wales was sad. And then I was like, 
that there wasn't a consistency and I think that was quite jarring yeah the inconsistency absolutely was the thing like one minute it was too fast the next minute it was too slow and you can't find your footing it's interesting as well Kim that you said you didn't know what kind of what like the kind of book she wanted to write was or it wasn't clear Mm. because neither of you finished the book did you no the very last chapter of the book before the before the epilogue is the writer's own story with her diagnosis with lupus um, mm-hmm. and her personal story. And the feeling that I got once I read that was basically she went, I've had a really crap time and I want to make this book because of that. And once I'd read that, I was like, oh, suddenly <laughs> the rest of this makes sense. And to me... That should have been the opening chapter. Mm-hmm. It should have been. This is my story. Mm. Here's the story of the women that mm, throughout yeah. history have been. And I think that just would have been better. And that yeah. almost the introduction could have been the summation. Yeah. Of- yeah. I agree. Like if that had been woven through, not even just the opening chapter, but if that had been woven through, if it hadn't been broken up chronologically, if there was some kind of call and response between ancient and modern the entire way through, I think that that would have done more of a service to the story that she was trying to tell. But likewise, I think, Sam, if she had done what you're suggesting, you know, opened with her full story, that would have been really quite powerful. It would have attracted, I think, the kind of casual reader that isn't interested in reading this kind of historical book for a podcast or because they are a former academic or because they are a feminist scholar or whatever the other reasons that we have all picked up this book and been interested in it. If you are a casual reader who picks up this book because the cover's pretty cool and you're vaguely interested and you've had your own struggle, that empathetic narrative at the beginning of the book or woven through the book is the thing that makes you read it and keep reading it. I feel like what I wanted a little bit was to be, I wanted someone to be my tour guide through this and I wanted someone to lead me by the hand through it. And I wanted someone to like be there for me to help contextualize it rather than letting me like process all of this stuff and this trauma and kind of leave me to it alone like aside from a few sort of wry quips and uh, not to like be constantly on Mary Roach like 24 7 but I do (laughs) love that bitch but she does it so well in stuff like Gulp or which is a book that's entirely about the digestive system and she's not a doctor or a scientist and it's still so informative and fascinating because she takes you by the hand literally through the alimentary canal and stiff the way that she sets that book up is by going I think that I might like to donate my body to medical science. What might that look like? Come with me as I find out all of the things that could happen to my body. And so you have a little bit of context. And I think that would have been so helpful to have more about her and her story and her experience in the outset, rather than just kind of a passing paragraph yeah for sure it was it's almost and this is going to sound like an extreme way of saying it but like almost duplicitous about it in that I was reading it and I was like this is a book to help all women which it is but then at the end when you're like oh you wrote this because of your experience Mm. and that's fine and legitimate but 
if I'd read this from the beginning, I would have had a very different experience with this book. Yeah. It would have spoken to her mission statement as well, which is, you know, like if you listen to women talk about their own experiences with their own bodies and they know them the best, then you are better able to understand their suffering and believe their pain and diagnose their problem. And if we had listened to her talk about the body that she knew best, which is her own, and the pain that she knew best, which is her own, then maybe we would have understood her authority better for the history that she then gave us. Kim, you've mentioned mental health, Tiff. I think you talked about it very briefly earlier as well. And that, I feel, is something that was missing from this book, other than saying, men thought it was all in women's minds. But it wasn't. And then it didn't really go on to explore the actual minds and things that are in the mind because they are of the nature of the mind. And I thought the mental health exploration was missing. Is there anything else that you guys thought wasn't there that should have been there? I think like a degree of a little more intersectionality would have been very, very helpful. In the intro of the book, she does talk about how that this is not an exhaustive exploration of things, people of color and trans women's bodies and so on and so forth, which in and of itself is probably an entire, you know, it's an entire book. I think that was the, the racial element was missing for me because it felt like it was through quite a, like a white lens. Even when we do talk about sterilization in South America, it did still feel like, especially black women's experiences were notably absent from the book and on a fat phobia Mm -hmm. in any in any more detail and the thing is like race and fat phobia are so deeply entwined you know there's a a really good book called fearing the black body which is all about about history of fat phobia and how it relates to race and essentially like thinness and thin white bodies being the ideal is like is a way to keep women quite subservient so like light-skinned and subservient and we know that like fat phobia is just such a huge issue medically there are so many women who don't get correct medical care because their first their first instinct is for the doctor to tell them to lose weight because it's weight above anything else and I'm I'm really interested in that. I mean, there's a there's a really good book about that, and it's called What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat by Aubrey Gordon, which is brilliant. But look, I mean, even though it is a compendium, it can't talk about everything. But when you do set yourself up to be a bit of a compendium, if you miss something or don't talk about something in enough detail, someone's always going to be unhappy. Someone's always going to feel that the cause that they feel most passionately about has been underrepresented. And so I'm very aware of my own bias of what I find interesting and important in reading this book that others may not be as as interested in or may not find as important but that was for me a little bit missing and of course the the, you know mental health in general women's mental health in general is I think hugely misunderstood Mm -hmm. I think because women are more effective communicators we assume that like you know there's a lot of focus on male mental health and there's a lot of focus on like male suicide rates but women's suicide rates may be lower because women choose less certain or violent methods of taking their own lives doesn't mean that the statistics of women trying to take their lives are any less doesn't mean that men are more predisposition to be mentally unwell it just means that like the one gender may succeed a little more than the other and like that stuff is not I don't know it's not really explored so much. The, those are the things that I find interesting. I find things that are perhaps more controversial and a bit thorny, like mm. 
the most interesting things because I think we all we all go into this book going, well, well, of course women have been treated like shit. It's like, yeah, we accept that. Okay. Like what else? Like tell me more because it would have been more shit for certain kinds of women. Mm-hmm. So yeah. tell me something I don't know and tell me something that is going to actually push against my current worldview and something that is going to force me to think a little bit more existentially about stuff how people who aren't able-bodied are treated today and you know people who aren't white and people who aren't conventionally thin like tell me more about that yeah I agree entirely with everything you just said and the the two things I want to draw out of that which kind of leads to a third obviously the mental health aspect definitely 100% I was troubled in the introduction by the implication that there are no problems of mental health and that everything has a physical cause, which I don't think was the intent, but I was feeling particularly raw when I started reading this book and that I found that easy to interpret that, which was a problem because there are some issues that you can't treat with cool treatments and and I kind of wanted that to be acknowledged and it sounds like you know as far as I got it hadn't yet been and it sounds like that was yet to be and that 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 is a cause that's particularly close to my heart the race element and specifically I also thought you know she acknowledges early on particular worldview as we often do on this podcast acknowledge that you know we are white women talking about issues and we try to be as intersectional as, as we can but we fail and also ultimately we are white women talking about issues but that she acknowledges that early on but then I didn't see evidence of her trying to overcome that and trying to be out of her worldview and she does discuss cases featuring black women and, and reference black women in the second section in particular and like you say Tiff there's a whole host of stuff that was unacknowledged in that section but also the world is not just black and white and medicine is not just black and white and she acknowledges these things but she again doesn't I as far as I've read ever acknowledge any kind of medicine that is not Europe or the US and I keep thinking about you know Chinese medicine being quite a famous historically forerunner in a lot of different things and then the the various cultural aspects of that race and cultural experience and then religious experience in India in the Middle East and how those affect women's access to medical treatment and cultural differences none of that was even touched on and like you say if this is meant to be a compendium at least, you know, if you can do a paragraph sent of someone who throws up pins, you can do a paragraph of, of course, at the same time in China, this was happening, or in the same time in India, this was the most common thing. And it doesn't acknowledge any of that. And I think there was a lot of emphasis on female genital mutilation, and abuse of women and restriction of their rights. And that is arguably more prevalent in countries that are not European, that are not Western. And I was just sort of amazed. And even in the realms of what is considered Western medicine, the limit 
was very finite in this book. So I thought that that was a real problem. And it did make me wonder why she didn't collaborate on this book. Yeah, for sure. I think the intersectionality is... It is a difficult thing in a book of this length because, as we've acknowledged, you cannot, in 415 pages in the hardback form, acknowledge every single woman's experience throughout history. Um, It did go slightly more into the experiences and exploitation of black women in the latter part of the 20th century when you get further into the book, more so than it had at any other point. And I'm wondering if that is sheerly down to data that was available Mm -hmm. because it is a very like like invisible women it's a very data-driven book in a lot of ways which is not an excuse but it is potentially a reason but like you say kim uh, black and white are not the only two races there are other races that it doesn't really touch on it talks very briefly about the exploitation of Puerto, puerto rican women during the the tests and trials of the contraceptive pill there's no acknowledgement really of asian women no acknowledgement of any women from Native America, it's yeah, it, it's very it's very black and white and predominantly white. There's also very little treatment of LGBTQ plus women. There is a very brief window of discussion of trans medicine and one particular trans positive pioneer, I suppose you would call. There's not really a hell of a lot around people who are not able bodied. There's and one thing that. Tiff, you mentioned obviously being very aware of your own prejudices, not prejudices, but the things that you want to see reflected on the page. Fuck all about neurodivergence, which is, as a neurodivergent woman, I was like, where? Mm. (laughs) Where is? Particularly in the wake of what's happening at the moment, which is that a lot more women are being diagnosed as neurodiverse because of new recognition of the symptoms and mm-hmm. for something that is such that acknowledges up to 2021 i think this mentions as the latest date of medical research that should have been there mm-hmm. uh, oh sure i'm oh, really sure. surprised that wasn't i'm really yeah. surprised that wasn't especially because i think if you do map some of the early and obviously you can never fully 100 percent diagnose a historical figure but if you do map some of the early references in this book the neurodivergence is, is for a layman obvious in the same way that you know many other misunderstood diagnoses were obvious that that would have been clear to me and yeah that's a massive oversight there, I think there could have been a whole there basically could have been I mean there could be a whole book about masking but like you can talk mm-hmm. about masking with mental health and how women like you know again are known to be brilliant communicators but also really brilliant at masking and so that's partially part of the mental health discussion it's also part of the neurodivergent discussion like all of that like societal expectations of women and how women present in society is all can all sit quite neatly under that umbrella and feel quite current as well and how if you don't mask, you might get lobotomized yeah totally exactly that exactly that I mean like you can tie it to a, like a, a lovely, horrible piece of history. Don't worry. We've got a horrible piece of history in the back. There's always a horrible piece of history. Don't worry about it. We've got that covered. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It's it, it could have done a lot more. But then if it had been a 600, 700 page book on women's medical history, would we have picked it up? Mm, very true. Very true. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah. There's but probably a been... in the works about the old what's going on in the brain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> if it had been a series where it's like 200, 300 pages of this bit, this bit, this bit, this bit, and a, and a series of that, I think that that would have been incredibly marketable. There's a series which is like on whatever, like on quiet, on introverts, on money, on etc. This feels like that could have been that. But yeah, we're not publishers. No, but maybe we should be. And, you know, (laughs) that sometimes I'm just like, just give me the keys. I don't know what it is, but I'll fix it. I I think we need to bring back those weird little magazines that you'd get that would come in a series with a gift. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. So like, I love those. Yes. Like a series. candles for casting spells. Give me all that shit. Yeah. I had a crystal crystal one. Definitely had a crystal one. I had the tarot. I had the tarot one. I had one about astronomy. I think we could do one about women's bodies. You get a little piece of the skeleton every week. (laughs) And you can place it together and you could be like, oh, what's going on this? Oh, FGM. How exciting. (laughs) How lovely. (laughs) Oh, you know, and then you can be more comprehensive. And there's pictures, maybe a word search would be nice, would be a palate cleanser. Crossword or isn't she crosswords? Oh. (laughs) For the nagging wife. (laughs) Yeah, like you could get your own like nags bridal. Like one week you could like build your own. Perfect. Horrible histories. (laughs) But yeah, there we go. We've solved it. This needs to be a collect your own gift based magazine series. Harper Collins, give me a call. (laughs) (laughs) Coming soon to a merch store near you. So there have been some highlights of this book. There have been some areas that could have been expanded on more and more supportive to the experience of women uh, dealing with living in a female body in a male dominated medical world. But did you have any quotes from this book that really stood out to you and that you kind of went, yes, that, that, that resonates. I like that. There were a couple of things that I that resonated with me. The book started, obviously, as I mentioned, the introduction kind of quite, gave quite a good mission statement. And one of the quotes from that that really stood out to me was, speaking out about your own body is profoundly feminist. It is a it is generous and courageous to revisit and recall the trauma of pain and a radical gesture in a culture skewed towards doubting and disbelieving women. And I I do feel like that's almost a manifesto for what I think that she wanted to say and for how I've, I've felt recently in particular, but also how we've talked about on this podcast. I, you know, we talk about feminism being... A movement it's not just for women it's for everyone and that is a line that's for everyone you need to be able to articulate your pain and I thought that, that was particularly found most of the other quotes I have were me really enjoying all the ways that I would be locked up as an insane person women could overexcite their ovaries by looking at books and pictures having conversations listening to music and enjoying a social life Fuck. Oh, my ovaries are so overrated. Oh, no. Um, causes of ovarian ir- irritation included childhood illnesses, horseback riding, and taking train journeys. Fuck. Well, the famous five are fucked, aren't they? <laughs> so I literally read a famous five book this week and was like, well, fuck you, Anne. And then there was another one earlier. When a woman is menstruating, she can poison animals with a glance, infect children in the cradle, dare to the cleanest mirror with her vile reflection. And I was like, look, we've all felt that that way at some point, but that doesn't make it scientific fact. Yeah, all of those I I, I particularly enjoyed. I picked out 
five very short quotes that I wanted to highlight very quickly. One was, it was around, this was a quite a late one in the book where it was someone talking about their experiences, trying to describe their, their struggles, getting a doctor to listen to them and understand them. And it says, as one participant explained, doctors try a whole bunch of things and when everything fails, they just think you're nuts. And it's, yeah, yeah. Any women who have been to a doctor know that one. We'll come back to that one in a minute because it's funny. Replace, like the said, word, replace the word nuts with fat. But it's so true. Another one was about the protest when Lloyd George was talking like to the hall full of women in the 1910s. Don't know the exact date. Oh, 1908. There you go. More suffragists were roughly hustled out when Lloyd George proclaimed, if Queen Elizabeth had been born today, one retorted, she would have been in Holloway prison. Liked that. Was a fan of that. <laughs> because is it so wrong? fucking true? Yeah. Is it's it funny because it's true. <laughs> and then this one, men who oppose suffrage delighted in keeping women at a disadvantage. So it wasn't just a, we're doing this because it pains us. It was like a, a genuinely brought them pleasure to see women subjugated and sad. And Look at porn. Like, look, look at mainstream porn. porn. And I think we know yeah. that that is a very pervasive feeling to this day. We want to see women basically in pain. I mean, we just went through a trial where a woman was dragged very publicly through the streets and almost put in stocks and rotten tomatoes were thrown at her. Like, it continues the other one, this went by rejecting the association between the uterus and hysteria. Sydenham had to admit that men could suffer from it too. But only men who did girly things like studying and sitting down were afflicted. <laughs> and then my final quote is, shockingly, this is about the, the trials of a male contraceptive pill. And it talks about how there were problems with various side effects. Shockingly, a drug considered too dangerous for chickens and men was somehow perfectly acceptable for women. Wild that chickens and men are being put into the same category. <laughs> and Tiff, I think you have a particularly special quote for us to end on tonight. Could you share it with the grape culture audience? Well, given the, the discussion around witches and around sort of pseudoscience and absolute fuckery i have got a copy of the grimorium verum which is one of the oldest if not the oldest kind of like black magic text from like the 1500s that's filled with some really interesting spells that are very much of their time so i'm gonna give you actually i'm gonna give you a oh interesting i'm gonna give you a, a few uh, options for the spell that we're gonna read i think a secret for traveling 20 miles an hour which is followed by how to win at dice like some of these are so petty You'll literally go to the magical secret to speaking with the dead, <laughs> to going like the mystery of how a black hen for making a demon obedient to like wonderful prescription to remove canine rabies. So it's like it's a very like pharmaceutical text, a secret for matching a woman to her appropriate love. And what else have we got? A God, I mean, it is it's very benign. There's I think the 20 miles an hour one might be my favorite, but, you know, I'll leave it to I'd the group. I'd love to hear that. I'd love to hear the 20 miles an hour one. Wouldn't we all love to? Wouldn't we all love to travel that fast? Commuting would be a breeze. Concerned about my womb falling out of my body. (laughs) I love the idea as well of like... Like at the time this was written, the idea of travelling 20 miles an hour was so mind-boggling. Like it was so fast. So, okay... Listen up, everyone, because this is what you need to do. Take two ounces of human fat. We've all got that just knocking around, so that's fine. An ounce of oil of nerves. One ounce of oil of laurel. One ounce of deer fat. 
and an ounce of natural mummy. No context of what a natural mummy is. Two glasses of wine spirits. I could do that one, definitely. And seven verbena leaves. Bring it all to a boil in a small new earthen pot until it is reduced so half of the value, half of the volume. Then spread the ointment over a new handkerchief. And when you apply it to the spleen area, you will go like the wind. Footnote, in order not to become ill after traveling, bathe your feet in white wine. <laughs> I just... If you don't have your own natural wine, <laughs> it's fine. Um, I must know what you can substitute for natural mummy. I know there's got to be like what's like a sort of like Nigella like oh if they've not got like orzo yeah. then like <laughs> you could do right. with Fifi. like formula maybe maybe on which note should we wrap up how did you guys find the House of Dreams Grenache Noir delish pretty fucking good pretty good it's gone 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 i performed my own spell and put it in my face yeah no i too mine's gone and i really did not intend to drink the entire bottle this evening listeners were recording remotely in case that wasn't obvious so we each have a bottle which is a dangerous state of affairs and yeah i enjoyed it it was very light it didn't necessarily match the book in that regard because the book was heavier but it was a good counterpart to the book i think because it has made this discussion much more enjoyable and light and friendly than the book maybe set us up for. So I definitely recommend the wine highly. Who wants to kick us off with a grape rating? Can I say it was a 3.8 grape? Nothing smaller than a 0.5. Well, I'm a, I'll round it up to, a, you know, it was a... Okay, I'll do a 3.5 because mm-hmm. I feel like very drinkable better than an averagely drinkable wine if i had 0.3 i would use it here maybe even a 0.2 but our moderator is you know just behaving like a man in the 18th century honestly and just like really (laughs) oppressing my voice (laughs) the boundaries by which you can express yourself in regards to this on brand for the book 3.5 though that seems very respectable sam how about you Solid. Yeah, I'm going to copy Tiff and say 3.5. Bordering a 4. Again, I think the 3.8 would have been good, but we've set the rules, and without the rules, we are just animals. Yeah, so, it's chaos. <laughs> you're right, you're right. It's just chaos. Rules so it's, help control the fun. And for that reason, 3, 3.5. M. what do you think? I concur. I would give this a 3.5, but you know what? For the sake of averaging out, I'm going to say 4. Because then it averages out to around a 3.6, I would have thought, 3.75. And then that is a true representation of how we truly feel. And that, my friends, is rating wine by committee. How do we feel about the book? She says with trepidation. (laughs) I think it was a very good introductory book if you want to consider the place of medicine in the oppression of women throughout history. If you want details, go elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, I gave it a four on Goodreads, but I'm going to give it a 3.5 just because I thought it was eye-opening and gave me more more I wanted to read, but it didn't give me everything I needed. Tiff, what about you? I concur. I totally concur. I think it is a good solid 3.5. Like, 
it definitely is like a very good broad introductory text. I can see that there would be people I would recommend this to who I think would enjoy it at various levels with the caveat that like, if you find this interesting, here are some like supplementary texts with it. I'm going to be slightly harsher. I'm going to give it three, which as you know, regular listeners will know is not a bad thing. I do think that there were parts of it that really suffered and it hampered my interest in it. I'm a target audience for this. I read a lot of nonfiction. I read a lot of medical and true crime nonfiction. And I am a feminist. And it didn't quite do it for me. And I struggled to get through it. So maybe that's my own interpretation. But three, it seems reasonable to me. With that, before we entirely wrap up, Tiff, thank you so much for joining us. It's been so fun. It's been my pleasure. Uh, We've really enjoyed having you. For Once again, for listeners, Tiff is the host of Crime and Dine and the co-host of Trend Lightly. But Tiff, do you have anything else that you would like to plug or promote to our listeners? I would say check out Trend Lightly on Twitter and TikTok if you want to see me beefing with Adrian and basically coming for people who have no business coming for me but also if you want to know what's happening online trend likely is a really good weekly podcast it's a good compendium of everything that happens on the internet which is really hard the new series of crime and dine is coming really soon it is really good and i do work super hard on it and uh, we've got some really interesting stuff coming up so i'm doing cooking with a serial killer and dorothea puente a female serial killer. We love a representation moment in true crime. <laughs> We've got an episode about how you can die from ingesting gold. I've got a history episode on the real Bloody Mary, some stuff about a spy who died in a bag, and some interesting serial killer chat about the BTK, where I actually have a guest who is a forensic astrologist who looks at the astrology of serial killers so i think it'll be super interesting amazing thank you for having me it's been so fun and sorry it was such a bummer yeah if you're reading like the fucking grimorium verum for the whole time it would have been a whole different story (laughs) so if you've enjoyed this week's episode don't forget to check us out on social media we are on twitter at grape culture pod we are on Instagram at Grape Culture Podcast, and we also have a website which is grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. If you have any questions or you'd like to suggest any episodes, you can get in touch with us there, or you can email grapeculturepodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, have a lovely couple of weeks, and we'll be back in a fortnight with a brand new episode for you. And thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.